invite you to turn in your Bibles this evening to the book of Proverbs. As we go there again, chapter 2. The parents have sermons yet for their son. As the father and mother agree, as the father teaches his son, he invites him to receive his words. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment, And lift up your voice for understanding if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity, and every good path. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you. To deliver you from the the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness, to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversity of the wicked, whose ways are crooked, who are devious in their paths. To deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters her with, I'm sorry, flatters with her words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house leads down to death and her paths to the dead. None who go to her return, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you may walk in the way of goodness and keep to the paths of righteousness. For the upright will dwell in the land, and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the earth, and the unfaithful will be uprooted from it. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, forgive us for our many sins. Not least among them, Lord, hard hearts and stopped up ears. Lord, it is a difficult thing indeed to allow you to work in us even as we so desire at times to cling to the sin that we love. But without wisdom, there is no protection. Without wisdom, we would be naked and alone against those forces of wickedness that we cannot stand against. And so, Lord, even tonight, work in us by your word, wisdom. May even the knowledge of Christ dwell richly in our hearts, as he himself is our wisdom. We pray these things then in your holy and awesome name. Amen. These proverbs come to us as sermons from one who loves us. So far in chapter 1 and chapter 2, 
parents address their son. Now, that's not exclusive. This is also something that is good for daughters as well. And it is not to say that daughters lack wisdom. No, children, both male and female, need the wisdom that God alone brings. And the place where we are to receive it is from our parents, here, clearly illustrated. It comes from those who are mature in the faith, who have lived, who have seen, who know, who have been given responsibility by God to instruct those who are coming after them. And even as parents plead with their son, they do so as, as, <clears throat> excuse me, as they have been called by God to teach their children how to keep their feet from wickedness. In fact, chapter 3 continues, My son, chapter 4, verse 1, Hear, my children, the instruction of my wisdom. Chapter 5, my son. Chapter 6, my son. Chapter 7, I'll let you guess. <laughs> my son. And that is a continued sermon that we find in chapter 8 from chapter 7. And then a beautiful summary of wisdom in chapter 9. Parents, you know how this goes. There are times where you see your child. You know that there is a way to go. There is a fork in the road. One way leads to destruction. The other one leads to life. And there you sit at the crossroads and you plead with them. And the way in which you plead with them is not from a position of naivete, you explain exactly what will happen when you go both of those ways, or if you go one or the other. If you go the way of folly, you can outline for them, this is how it's going to go for you. If you go the way of wisdom and righteousness, this is the way it will go for you. And you endeavor to give them that treasure which keeps them on the straight and narrow. Here, that treasure is a proverb it is wisdom. Three points that I want to make tonight. Where wisdom is to go or to be put. Where wisdom is to go, we see that in verses 1 through 4. Wisdom protects, we see that in verses 5 through 11. And then lastly, why wisdom protects. Why wisdom protects, we see that in Verses 12 through 22. Let's look at the first point, where wisdom is to go. Where are you to put it? Well, elsewhere, we read, we are to hide God's law, wisdom itself, the revelation of God in our hearts, so that we might not sin against him. Wisdom is to be put in that very place deep within our heart. And that is what the father says, sorry, excuse me, <clears throat> that is what the father says, my son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you. Now, where do you put your treasure? On the patio? In the driveway? In your car with the doors unlocked and the windows down? No. Where do you put your treasure? Well, I tell you where I put it, what little I have of it. And somehow every time I go into my safe, the uh, envelope that holds the cash is a little bit thinner than the line. I don't know where, so maybe it's not working. You put it in a guarded place. You put it in the center of your home. You put it in that place that is not just where your heart resides, 
but that it becomes in the life of an individual your most precious treasure. You are to receive it. Not just hear it. Parents, I know you've had this experience. You're talking to your children and you say, all right, here are the three things that I want you to do. Okay, I got it. They don't got it. What do you have to do? You say, all right, you tell me back what I just told you. And then they give you two of the three. Well, I already forgot the third. No, you need to tell me all. You need to actually receive what I have told you. Think of the analogy of a father playing ball with his son. The ball goes back and forth. The father can throw the ball at the kid, but he has not received it until it lands in the glove. We are to hear and we are to internalize it. We are to bring it into as those in whom God dwells the center of our lives. And so children, when your parents express the wisdom of God's word, you are to say, okay, I get it. And you are to not forget it. You are to treasure it. You know what a treasure is, children. And it doesn't have to be especially valuable, though wisdom is especially valuable. Sometimes I walk in the house and I see rocks. Or just sticks. And I know that Logan has been outside playing. And he has found the particular stick that he has set his affection upon. And that stick always makes its way into the house. He knows where that stick is. Why? Because it's important to him. We are to treasure it. And not only are we to receive it, but look at verse 2. So that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. And then look at verse 3. Yes, if you cry out for it, lift up your voice for it, if you seek her as silver and as treasure. There is a passive reception of it which blossoms into an active pursuing of it. It is to take initiative because you know its value. It is not only to receive what your parents are saying or to receive what the godly and the mature are saying, to take it and put it in your heart, but to devote your life to seeking after it as much fine gold. All right, if you're listening to any of these podcasts today, one of the big ones right now in the midst of financial crisis, what are they constantly trying to tell you to do? Diversify. Buy gold, buy silver. Why gold and silver? Because due to the precious nature of them, because we all have access to the same amount, no one's printing gold or silver, it is a very limited resource, whereas paper is not, we are to seek wisdom as though it is of great value. We are to go after it, especially in days like today where wisdom, well, wisdom is certainly in short supply. And so the writer here escalates this exhortation. The father escalates his exhortation from one of listen to you start asking for it. 
And there is some point in the life of a child I think we get where they go, okay, okay, okay. And then we see them sort of in that logic phase around middle school. You know what I'm talking about. Where they begin to question everything and they ask all the time. This is your children seeking wisdom. And they may not even know it. And the way in which they will be given the good things that they are seeking, even if they don't know what they're seeking for, is that you give them the gold. You give them the choice silver. You provide for them that which is a treasure. And so because of the value of wisdom, we are to receive it, we are to seek it, and we are to place it in that part of us that makes decisions, that walks in the way that we should go, that feels, that thinks. It is to become our will. And in this regard, wisdom protects us, secondly. And we see this in verses 5 through 11. Then, after having heard and seeking it, then... Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. There is a process to it. It is not a short process. It is a lifelong process. But once you seek wisdom, and here in particular, I think it is helpful for us to think of the wisdom of God as the manifestation of the eternal logos, which is Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. When you seek after the wisdom of Christ, this is what comes. You will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. When do you find it? When you have sought it. You must seek it. And you must seek where it can be found. Where is the wisdom of God found? Well, it's found in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. It's found throughout the word. It is to search out the very thoughts and intentions of God. In fact, we confess, what do the scriptures principally teach? What man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man? How shall we know how to go? We open the word of God and we read it. And we ask the Lord, as Luther instructed all of his students, prior to going to the word, pray, pray, pray. And after you have closed the word, pray, pray, pray. And all the while you're in the word, pray. Why? Because we are beggars. Before a holy God. And so the first way that wisdom protects us is theological protection of the mind. When you find the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom, verse 6, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity and every good path. And so here in verses 5 through 9, the first way wisdom protects us is a theological protection of the mind. Theological knowledge has sort of fallen into um, an unpopular place in Christian culture, right? If you are theologically inclined, that means that you will be a bit dogmatic, a bit rough, a bit dangerous to those who just want to live their lives. But the use of theology cannot be underestimated. And its practical effect cannot be underestimated. For when we get wisdom, we gain understanding. 
And when we have good theology, guess what we do not do? We do not crave to the latest, latest theological trend. When we build our lives upon the rock of Christ Jesus theologically, and we know the gospel that brings about salvation, we will not go the ways of unorthodoxy. This is why when we were deciding, hey, what kind of name do we put on our sign? Are we just Reformation Presbyterian Church? Do we drop orthodoxy? And there's some arguments for why we should and should not have the name orthodoxy in our name because it's largely today a word that is misunderstood because they don't get the historical context of our name. Why was OPC chosen? Well, we got sued. That's one of the reasons. And if we wanted to hang on to that name from the mainline, as the mainline church was suing us, we probably needed millions of dollars in legal fees, which we did not have. So he said, maybe we'll choose another name. But what we landed on in 1936 was the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Orthodox just means straight teaching. Just like an orthodontist, you know, puts braces on your teeth, and they get those teeth straight. The orthodox teaching of God's word is a protection. It doesn't make you nerds. It doesn't make you uncool at parties. It actually protects you. Now, how you wield theological knowledge is another matter that the Father doesn't touch on here. Except when you know good doctrine, you are less likely to go the way of theological liberalism or drift. You are guarded. It is a shield for your mind. And not only that, but wisdom is also protection for your heart. Look at verses 10 and 11. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you. Now, the reason why theological protection of the mind is emphasized first is because it coincides with the wicked men that are coming later who seek to entice you with bad doctrine. The reason why the protection of the heart is so important is because there will come those unchaste women who will seek to allure you to adultery. We'll see that later also in this chapter. But the way that wisdom protects our hearts is it shows us, it's a preview, it's a trailer of the film that is your life if you go the wrong way. If you go this way, the Father will later say, things will go very badly for you. But the way in which we are protected from going down that path in the first place is by seeking and applying and asking God for wisdom. For when it enters into our heart, it gives us discretion. What is discretion? It is that reflex that is built in you wherein you say to yourself when options are presented... Should I go that way? Should I say that thing? And then you remember from the word. A fool tends to just keep running his mouth. Maybe I should zip it up. Discretion is applied ethics. Discretion is actually what guards and promotes a good testimony. When do you do what you are supposed to do? How do you act 
when others are tempting you towards immorality. Discretion is a wonderful testimony to the watching world of the benefit that wisdom brings. And you know what you do not find most of the time on social media? Discretion. It is, after all, the better part of valor. And the reason oftentimes you do not find discretion online is because there is very little um, reaping and sowing on a virtual community. Discretion is you are upset with your boss, but you do not go into your boss's office and tell him how you feel. You exercise what? Restraint and discretion. Now, that does not mean go home and rail about it on social media. I'm saying you were to live with that sort of discretion. It is ethical protection of the heart. This is what wisdom does. It guards your heart by helping you to see the folly of giving in to sinful emotions and reflexes. And the only protection then for the mind and for the heart is this wisdom that comes from above. Uh, Here, Solomon and others in the book of Proverbs liken wisdom to a woman. But Solomon and the writer of Proverbs also likened wisdom to this messianic gift later declared to us in the New Testament to be none other than Christ himself, who is the wisdom and knowledge of God. These are the words of Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of what we are reading here. And so what we can say is Jesus is the only protection for our minds and hearts. And if we wish to be protected, what must we do? We must build our lives upon him. If you wish to have a protected mind, then know the word which proclaims Christ. If you wish to have a protected heart, you need to know the word which fills our heart's longings. Wisdom protects. Now, why does wisdom protect? Because Adam, that scoundrel, decided to go and mess it up for all of us. Now, we say this not from a position of pride, though some may have said so. If I had been there, <laughs> yes. You too. But what was unique about Adam? He was wholly blameless up until the point that he actually sinned. Our problem is this. Not only are we defenseless against temptation, but we actually like the Kool-Aid that the devil is trying to get us to drink. It is sweet to us. And without wisdom, which here serves as a warning, it is a preview It is a blinking light that says, don't go that way, go this way. If it were not for wisdom, we would always ever only choose the path of wickedness. And so, wisdom is a bulwark against wicked men. Verse 12, to deliver you. And so, wisdom protects your mind and your heart in order to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks Perverse things. Now, perversity here is not sexual perversity. It is theological perversity. It is to walk in paths of unrighteousness. It is the man who teaches theology that is out of alignment, that is unorthodox, that is not according to God's word. And that is everywhere. And we are to exercise what when we read? Discretion. Shields up, right? 
We put those shields up when we read things that are not produced by godly men, but by godless men. When we engage with enemies, when we're doing apologetics, when we're dealing with theological error, we are to have our shields up. Now, we are to go into the fray, but we are to use the word of God as the lone bulwark against those things which would entice us. Do you know how easy it would be if God gave us permission just to lust? I mean, how many, what percentage of sins would that take care of? Or that it was okay to steal or covet or to do whatever we wanted to on Sunday. You know how easy it would be if we could just not just give up half the law. And now we've lived that experience. And are we doing well as a culture? We've given up the first and second table of God's law in mass. And what has it led to? 70 million dead children and women who think they're men and men who think they're women. And we look at it and go... Well, I guess the secular experiment failed. Yeah, it did. And that is all that secularism can produce. That is all that dead theology can produce. Dead theology produces what? Dead men. In fact, it never woke them from the dead. They were always dead. But just because it has a little bit of truth in it, right? Jesus was a good man. He taught good things. You got guys like Bart Ehrman at Chapel Hill, and he says that the the belief of the apostles that Jesus was raised from the dead was a mass hallucinogenic exercise, that they all hallucinated. But if Christ is not dead, what what do the scriptures say? We are still in our sins. And what is true of old Bart Ehrman? If Christ is not raised for him, he is still in his sins. That doctrine of enlightenment expressed itself as rationality, that there are no miracles, there is no resurrection, there is no God who superintends all the affairs of men, that kind of doctrine which is so alluring. Because when men seek to take God from the throne, what are they endeavoring to do? To create a job opening so that they can then sit upon the throne. But a throne of what? A throne of lies. Not a throne of misery and death. So what is the wisdom then that protects you from bad theology? Well, in 1 Timothy 1, anything that is not of love and a pure heart is false doctrine. 2 Peter 2, Peter encourages the saints, avoid the teaching of those who are dried up springs. 2 Corinthians 11, that doctrine that betrays the simplicity that is Christ and him crucified. The wisdom that protects us is what Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians. I came to you where there was much division, and I came to preach Christ and him crucified. That is the wisdom that guards our hearts. All that springs forth from the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And not only a bulwark against wicked men, but a bulwark against the wicked woman. Now, in the same way that this is not just a sermon for a son, it is not just women that commit sexual immorality. But he's talking to a son. And so he warns them against a woman. And this is what he says in verse 16 through 19. If you take wisdom in, if you seek it, it will deliver you from the immoral woman. 
From the seductress who flatters with her words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. Without the protection of the Lord, the son is helpless against moral temptation. If his heart doesn't have shields up, and if he does not know the way that immorality leads, what that path looks like, he will either naively, and if he is not properly warned, willingly walk that path. Parents, here's what you need to do. That even if your children sin, at least they do so knowingly. At the very least, if they're going to walk that way, they've done so with a lot of, no, 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 stop, stop, don't go that way. And what can you do? Except plead. Plead. Listen. If you go that way, you go towards a woman who is willing to break covenant, to break the vows that she has made. In fact, she is an unchaste wife because she is already married. And in order to be with you, she has to give up the covenant that she made with her husband to be with you. She is immoral. And the way that she will get you to go with her is by to you by using flattery. Well, you're so handsome. You've got big muscles and a really nice face. Who doesn't want to hear those things? You're right, I, I am handsome. Thank you very much. And then in a moment, the claw is in. She's got her hooks in you. Know her technique. Know how she gets her hooks in you. But in order to have a relationship with her, you must forsake the covenant that you have made with God. In fact, is this not what Paul expresses in the New Testament? If you lie down with a prostitute, just remember this. You bring her into the body of Christ to which you belong. Don't make that kind of covenant with your body. That all sin is a sin against the body. But when you sin sexually, you sin against what? Against yourself. It's like a gun with the barrel pointed right back out at you. And as you pull the trigger thinking, ah, it's not going to bother me, all of a sudden. The father is saying, son, listen, listen, this is what she's going to tell you. Do not listen to her. It's not unlike when you say to your kids when they go to buy their first car. Now listen, when you go to the dealership, just know this. There's no such thing as a deal. And they're going to try to tell you, oh, no, 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 this is a one-time thing. Man, I must be really special. No, you're not special. They just want to put you in a car. And they want to put you in the cheapest car at the most expensive price that you're willing to pay. And in the same way, this is what every lie of the wicked is like. When Satan went to Adam and to Eve, do you think he was actually interested in their welfare? All he wanted to do was attack God by destroying the image of God in men. And we were the fallout of that. And the warning is this, and he is very clear at the end of this section. No, no one who goes to her returns, nor do they regain the paths of life. This is a serious warning. Son, if you go this way, you may never get back. 
there may be permanent consequences because the house in which she lives is not a house of life. She's not a homemaker. She's a homewrecker. That is what she is. She will destroy you. And so, again, the father turns to the same conclusion that he gives here, or at the end of chapter 1. And it is a reminder of life and death. So, I'm telling you all this, son, not because I don't love you, not because I don't want you to have a full life. Have you ever had to qualify those things, parents? It may sound like I don't want you to have an enjoyable life, but I am telling you this is the way of God's design. I want you to walk in the way of goodness. And keep to the paths of righteousness. For the upright will dwell in the land and the blameless will remain in it. Every time we sin and choose the path of folly, what it looks like is we we tear the floor out from underneath us. But to remain in wisdom and walk in it is to build a life that that cannot be blown away. In wisdom we are to walk in righteousness that we might dwell in the land. Which land? This land. Because the wise will inherit the earth. And let me tell you this. I want you to be there. I want to be there. I don't want to be like the wicked who are like the chaff that the wind blows away. Who will be cut off from the earth. Who will not receive an inheritance. But the offer of the world is so strong. And what is it? Who cares about tomorrow? Just be happy right now. And the problem is when you do that, you forsake eternity. And you give up the security of God's promises. Dear saints, may we not give up that inheritance. But may we walk in wisdom. Let's pray. Lord.